All right, I got a word for you today. A word for you and a word for me. Somebody get the back door, please. I listened to Joel and Ryan's message at 40,000 feet. Being closer to God, I could hear it much better. Uh, you know how proud I was as a papa to listen to Joel and Ryan give such rich words to you guys. Uh, just thrilled. And as I listened to them, I thought, they're preaching about seeing. I've been preaching for three weeks that the shield of faith and that faith sees and Joel was talking about seeing, and Ryan was talking about seeing uh, the Word of God, the Rhema Word of God, and and and, uh, and just it just thrilled. In fact, I thought I could pre- preach everything about seeing. If you could see in your marriage, things would change. If you could see uh, with your kids, things. If you could see it at your place of work that Christ is there with you, and the the angels that are there to help you, everything would change. And so here's the verse that we've been teaching. This is our last week, I think. Above all, taking the shield of faith with which you'll be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. You know what that means? Satan can't do a number on you unless you let him do a number on you. He can hit you, but you can put it out with the shield of faith. Faith is putting your beliefs into actions. About 80% of people in America call themselves Christians. They are not Christians. They have mental assent. They believe in God, but they don't have faith because faith is putting your beliefs into action. Uh, Paul said, or James says, that faith without works is dead faith. It can't save you. Faith is a shield because faith enables you to see. And if you can see, you can block and even dodge fiery darts that the enemy throws at you. If you can't see, you can't see the darts to block them or to even put them out. So faith opens our eyes to the other realm. And thus we live from that realm into this realm. Now, I'm going to talk to you about two things today that you already know these things. You already know them up here. I already know them up here, but I still struggle with them in here. Joel preached two weeks ago about how he was struggling with feeling worthy in God's... Now, I've dealt with that. You wouldn't think he would still be dealing with it, but as I listened to him, I thought, I still deal with that from time to time. So I'm going to share with you things that your brain knows... But when it impacts you to the core of your being, you're changed. You live differently. You see differently. You act differently. And so a lot of times we we give mental assent to things that we hear. Do you know that giving mental assent to things that you hear without changing your life actually hardens you? It actually hardens you. That's why people can be in church for 20 and 30 years and still be as mean as can be. They've been actually hardened by the word, not by the word, but by their non-response to the word. They've actually hardened themselves. Hebrews 4.2 says this, For indeed the gospel was preached to us as well as to them, but the word which they heard did not profit them. 
not being mixed with faith in those who heard it. They heard the word. They heard the very words of God, but it didn't change them because they didn't mix what they heard with faith. And so they actually hardened themselves. And in the Bible, it tells us, Hebrews 3.15, today, if you hear his voice, that means you can hear God's very voice and still harden your heart. And the way you harden your heart is by not doing what you hear. That's how you harden your heart. He says it again in Hebrews 4, 7. Therefore God again said a certain day, calling it today, when a long time later he spoke through David, as was said before, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. So as I've said, to only give mental assent to teaching or to the word of God never profits you. In fact, it usually hardens you if you don't become a doer of the things that you hear. We must hear, then be a doer, faithful with the words that we hear. Now, I, I, I think this is true. <laughs> but I actually believe I preach better than I live. I don't achieve the things I preach fully. But I preach them so I have something to reach for. <laughs> I have something to go after. I have something stirring me on that I'm not there yet, but I'll preach where I'm supposed to be going. But here's my prayer. Let me live better than I preach. Ooh. Now for you, it would be, let us live better than what we know. Folks, if we just lived what we knew, we'd be dangerous people. If we just live what we... We hardly need to learn anything new. If we just did what we already knew... The kingdom would explode all over the valley. But we need to be reminded of things because the, the enemy throws fiery darts at us. And so I'm going to deal with two things. You already know them. You already know them. But I don't know if you know them. And you might know them, but you visit unbelief from time to time, as I do. Faith sees. What else does faith see? What else does the shield of faith see? That you have been made worthy, made holy, made pure, and made into a saint. With faith, when you and I finally get a hold of that, we are able to come boldly to God. Until you and I get this, we never will be a people that can come boldly. When you and I can finally see this, There'll never be condemnation issues again in our lives. There'll never be low self-esteem issues. There'll never be victim mindset, which is all over the church. Once you see what Christ has done, you'll never feel like a victim again. You'll feel like, man, I am blessed. I am victorious in Jesus Christ. You'll never deal with God doesn't love me issues again. When faith finally gets a hold of the power of the blood of Jesus Christ, the blood of Jesus Christ, so much gets broken off and removed from us. We desperately need to understand this, not just in our minds, but have it go to the core of our being. And so many of us are very familiar with what I'm about to teach, but it hasn't invaded our relationship with God and how we see ourselves in Christ. That phrase, in Christ, Paul uses it like 50 or 60 times in his writing, 
in Christ, seeing ourselves. So the devil throws fiery darts at us all the time concerning how unworthy we are. He's always throwing these darts, how much we've blown it, how much we have failed, how often we slip back. And you might not battle this. Praise God for you. Um, but many of us do. Many of us know this truth, but we struggle with these, uh, these darts that hit us that try to point out to us last week or this morning and keep reminding us of that. I want you to know this. God sees you through the blood of Jesus. God sees you through the blood of Jesus. And this is wild, but God sees you as he sees his son because we have put on Jesus. We have put him on. And if you and I are to become like Jesus, we must see ourselves as God sees us. We must see ourselves that way. So if you see yourself as sinful, you will be sinful. If you see yourself, I'm only human, you'll only be human. But if you see the divine nature has been, you've been joined one with Christ, you will begin to walk that out. You must, how you see yourself. If you see yourself as unworthy, you'll act unworthy. If you see yourself as a failure, you will fail. If you see yourself as an overcomer, you'll overcome. If you see yourself as a saint, you'll start acting like one. If you see yourself as clean, you'll work to stay in that blood and to stay in the cleanliness that comes from walking holy before him. If you see yourself made worthy, you will live a life worthy of that calling. Philippians or Ephesians 4.1, as a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you already got. You already got it. Now live up to what you already have been given. How you see the work of the cross in your life determines where you live, how you live, how you speak, and who you are, how you see this work. Do you see yourself clothed with Jesus, or do you just see little old you? Do you just see you who blows it all the time? Do you just see you who has this struggle or that? If you see you, you takes over. But if you see Jesus, Jesus takes over. How you see yourself clothed. Do you see yourself clothed in the righteousness of Christ? Are you wearing the robes of righteousness or do you still think you're just an old sinner? How you see yourself. 1 John 1, 9 says this. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Now, I want you to think about this. I don't have an ounce of unrighteousness in me. Not an ounce. Because of me? No. Because of the blood of Jesus. Because I've confessed my sin. I don't have any. Now, that doesn't mean I didn't blow it last week because I did. But right now, right now, and as the moment I confess that he's faithful and just, I don't have any. Think about that. I have zero unrighteousness. Now, we tend to look at that. I'm only human. Well, you know, we're all a mess. Well, no, 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 no. I have zero unrighteousness because he cleansed me of all unrighteousness. If he cleansed you of all of it, you can't have any unrighteousness. Yippee! Yippee! Yeah, but I don't feel that way. Listen, until you see it, 
when you see it, your feelings start lining up with what you can see. Your feelings come up to what you can see. If you can see yourself clothed in Christ, you'll start living in that realm. That's amazing. How do you see the effect of the blood of Christ in your life? Did the blood truly make you perfectly clean? Yes. Did the blood truly make you worthy to enter the throne room of God? Absolutely. Did the blood truly make you and I a son and daughter of the Most High God, giving us authority in the earth and over all the power of the enemy? Yes, it did. You must see that. He has changed you from sinner to sainthood because there's power, power, wonder-working power in the blood. There's power. What can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus Christ. I went from being a child of the devil to being a child of God. I went from being unworthy and I was made totally worthy. If you don't see what the blood and the cross did for you and I in washing us perfectly clean, we will never walk or talk and become like Jesus. We must see this work that he's done. It's a perfect work. You can't do it because you don't see yourself as Jesus sees you. Guys, every time I look at me, I get depressed. But when I look at him, I get encouraged. And he's clothed me in him. Stop pulling him off and looking at you. It's ugly. Keep your, keep your jacket on. Keep your robe on. It, you'll be a lot happier. Let me ask you this. Ezra's just tracking with me. It's going to the core of his being. I'm telling you. If you're muddy, does it really matter if you get more mud on you? Men, if you got oil on you, who cares if you get more oil? Ladies, if you have an apron and you've got gravy and stuff all over you and you get some more on, who cares? If you're dirty, it doesn't matter if you get more dirty. And if you see yourself as a sinner, does it really matter if you sin a little more? Does it? It don't matter if you see yourself that way. Hey, you're a sinner and you sin some more. So what? You're dirty. A little bit more dirt on you. Doesn't matter. You're dirty before, you're dirty after. Sinner before, sinner after. You and I must see ourselves as the bride of Christ, pure, spotless, holy, clothed in the righteousness of God. Therefore, you live as the bride of God. You talk like the wife of God, and you act like the wife of God. The blood is so powerful that once it touches me, I'm whiter than snow. I don't know how you can get whiter than snow, but the blood of Jesus can make me whiter than snow. So let me ask you this. Are you more careful around things that could get you dirty if you're wearing old clothes? Stained, ripped, dirty? Or are you careful if you're wearing a beautiful dress or a nice suit? A white suit. Never owned one, but I've seen them on TV. If you're wearing... Nice clothes, you are incredibly careful with what you do. If you're wearing dirty clothes, who cares? Get more muddy, 
Get more dirty. It doesn't matter. If you're just an old sinner saved by grace wearing dirty old clothes, you don't need to be more careful. But if you're clothed in the righteousness of Christ and pure and spotless, you will be careful. You will be careful. You'll walk circumspectly. You'll walk upright with wisdom. After six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, the brother of James, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. There he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as the light. Do you know when you came to Christ, you got transfigured? You got transfigured. If we could see in the Spirit right now, we'd all be blinded by each other. I'd be like, Debbie, tone it down. <laughs> okay? We, if we could see in the Spirit, it would be, they were afraid of Moses' face because it shone. It was so, if we could see in the Spirit, all of us, because of Christ within us, would be shining. There'd be a glow coming forth from us, a pure spotless that he put on us. So how we see the work of the cross and the blood of Jesus determines how clean we stay and how much authority you and I use. If you see yourself, oh, Jeremy, click on the next slide, please. I forgot to fix this. Just click on it. Uh, help me bring it up. <laughs> There we go. If you see yourself clean, holy, shining, you will be much more careful about getting dirty. And notice this. When you're wearing something nice, if you get something on you, what's the first thing you do? Okay, the other day I, was, I ate at Panda Express at the airport, Denver airport, and somehow some of it spilled on me. I didn't have any water, so you know what I did. I mean, I'm li- I'm, why? Because I wanted to look halfway decent when Ryan picked me up from the airport. Okay? I, when you're wearing something nice, if you get something on you, the first thing you do is you get in the blood. You confess it because you want this garment that Christ paid dearly for you and I to wear. You want it immediately cleansed. But if you're wearing dirty old clothes, who cares? <laughs> who cares? You've been clothed in Christ. You've been clothed in Christ. There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins. And sinners plunge beneath that flood and lose all their guilty stains. That's a good old hymn if you've never heard it. You can't work this up. You've got to see it. You've got to see it. So listen to this. If you see yourself as a screw-up, a failure, an unworthy sinner, you'll be able to do that. It'll be a piece of cake. You won't even have to try. But if you see yourself through the blood, holy, spotless, clean, you're going to be able to live that reality out. How you see, you've got to see this. You've got to see this work that Christ has done in you and I. And notice this, Jesus prays for us. He prayed for his disciples and he prayed for them. And his prayer was that we may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in... Where are you? 
you're in him. You're in Christ. That the world may believe that you have sent me. And I have given them the glory that you gave me. What do you have? The same glory the Father gave Jesus. Jesus turned around and gave it to you. Jesus, let us see it. Let us see this incredible glory that he's been given to us. Jesus told Philip, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Paul told the Ephesians, in essence, if you've seen me, you've seen Jesus. It's not a cocky statement. We've dealt with that. Why did he say imitate me? Paul had such a revelation of the power of the blood and the Holy Spirit to absolutely change and transform a life, to make us like Jesus, that, that we can say to someone who doesn't know Jesus very well yet, hey, look, just imitate me. I'm doing what Jesus would be doing if he were here in the flesh, so imitate me. And you'll find yourself, folks, you've got to see that. That's your call. That's your call. Imitate me as I imitate Christ. That you can tell, you can turn around to an unbeliever or a new babe in Christ, just follow me. I'm following Christ. You follow me. I'm doing what Jesus told me to do. I've been clothed in Christ. Paul saw himself as the righteousness of God. Hey, Paul, who are you? I'm the righteousness of God. I'm the righteousness of God. Because of my own effort? Not at all. Who are you? Who are you? I'm the righteousness of God. For he made, did you do that, Jeremy? He made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we. Not Paul. Not Paul, great, the apostle Paul, saint. That we might become the righteousness of God in him. Now, I know that you've heard this phrase for years, and most of you, I've talked to you about this. To say, I'm a sinner saved by grace, is an affront to the cross. I was a sinner. Now I'm a saint. I will not call myself a sinner. I sin, but I'm not a sinner. Why? Because I'm good? No, because Christ's good work inside of me. Christ Jesus' blood turned me from a saint, from a sinner, (laughs) into a saint. That's what it did for me. So I know we think we're humble when we say, oh, you know, we're all just a bunch of sinners. No, we're not. We're all a bunch of saints. We're all a bunch of saints that have been redeemed by the power of Jesus Christ. We're not just saved. We have been transformed, made new, new nature, his nature. I've heard Christians so often express, and we've all felt those feelings of unworthiness. But you've got to know this. I'm not made worthy by my own effort, but it was his effort on the cross. Now, get this. Folks, guilt and condemnation moves me about this far. And then I always go backward. Guilt and condemnation moves me forward about this much, and then I always go backwards. But his love experienced and encounters and encountered in my life compels me forward. There's no more radical power on the earth than experiencing the love of God because the love of God compels and pushes us forward in him. We love because, we love because he first loved us. 
And I'm telling you, I've tried to motivate myself by guilt and feeling bad about me and beating up on me and I'm such a jerk and I'm such an idiot and what's wrong with me? Folks, that stuff doesn't work. In fact, it typically leads me into more sin. But the love of God expressed in his mercy for me, now that moves me. That compels me forward. Okay. Skip, skip, skip. Faith sees the lies, and faith sees what God sees. So I want to deal with one more area. Faith sees and forever deals with low self-esteem, self-hatred, and feeling like being on second string. Now, believe it or not, from time to time, I struggle with feeling like a failure in the kingdom of God. Because I'll hear about some great church over there and what the pastor's doing and he's just amazing and all this is happening. Or I hear about this person and all the great things they're doing. They've led 10 people to the Lord last month. And, and I'll hear about these missionaries and all that they're doing. And it should encourage me and sometimes it encourages me. Other times I feel about this big. Now that's what you call a fiery dart. And that fiery dart, when it hits me, it makes me just feel like, I'll never attain that. I could never do. What's wrong with me? Here I am, 54. I should already be here. I should already be doing this. And And so this whole thing is a real dart that can hit any of us. And you see, for a thousand plus years, there was a a horrible separation between the people and the holy people, between the clergy and the laity, whatever that means, between the the priest and between the, the peons who simply went to church. And that thing can continue in us. And whenever we begin to look at people and compare ourselves to the more spiritual people and and all their gifts and all the position they have and and how much God is using using them, and if we look at them and we look at us, typically we feel about this big and we begin to deal again with feelings of inadequacy. What's wrong with me? I'm a failure. I'm unworthy. So this is... This is a dart that hits the people of God, and whenever it hits you and you let it fester, you will always be sidelined. You will always be sidelined if you begin to believe that about yourself. Something's wrong with me. I can't do it. I'm not anointed. Look how anointed they are. Look at how they hear God. Look at how beautiful they pray. Look at their knowledge of the word. And we start comparing ourselves to people, and we start feeling smaller and smaller and smaller. And then we feel like giving up. Now, we're supposed to be encouraged by their testimonies, and sometimes we are, but sometimes, I don't know, the devil throws a curved dart. That curved dart goes right around my shield. I don't know how that works, but he puts a spin on it. And so, but then in the church, we get terms like father and bishop and first lady and man of God and man of God for the hour and do not touch the Lord's anointed and the man of the cloth and God's prophet for the hour and apostle so-and-so and reverend and the special chairs on the stage for the ministers and the bodyguards assigned to the men of God. And I'm not against honoring leaders in the right way, but whenever... Leaders view themselves as above the people. Watch out. Or whenever people view the leaders as above them, some kind of separation in the minds of the saint occurs that lowers who you are in God. And you'll feel distant from God simply by comparing yourself and not seeing what you're clothed in and just looking outwardly. When you walk by sight, you begin to feel real small. If you walk by faith, you feel like a giant killer. That's what, that's what it's about. And then 
self-esteem and self-worth issues arise that the cross dealt with, and you'll find the love of God distant from you. See, let me read this statement. I know I already sort of said it, but the love of God experienced in an ongoing way is the greatest driving force for radical Christ-like living. When, I, when you come to church, I do want your mind renewed, but I also want your spirit impacted by the presence of Jesus and, and, and him being here present, stirring up passion and desire for him. The mind must be renewed, but the heart must be awakened. It must be awakened. So we worship at length to awaken the heart, and we teach to awaken the mind and the heart. All right, now, yes, when we worship, we're awaking the mind too. But th- there's this promise that Christ would dwell in our hearts through faith and that we'd be rooted and grounded in love so that we can comprehend the length and depth and width and height of the love of Christ, that we would be filled with the fullness of God. You can't experience that if you're comparing yourself to other Great men and women of God. By the way, there's no such thing as great men or women of God. There's no such thing. There's only humble men or women that God uses greatly. That's it. There's just humble. Now know this. Every saved person came from the same place. Kingdom of darkness, sinner, wretched, blind, and able to save ourselves. Every one of us came from the same place. And every saved person has the same standing in the heart of God. Beloved, bride of Christ, apple of his eye, chosen, royal priesthood, holy nation, a new creation. We all have the same standing in him. We're the ones that create divisions. We're the one that lifts some up and put others down. In Christ, we all stand before him complete. Yay. If you see yourself on second or third string and you feel like you're on the bench because of your past, because you don't know enough, because you're not smart enough, because you don't hear enough, you will sit the bench. I I could probably sideline myself every Sunday. Just if I would think back over the week, well, I blew that, I didn't do that right, I thought this. I I could sideline myself every week. Don't, don't let what is covered in blood sideline you. Don't let it sideline you. If you think in terms of gifted and ungifted, anointed and unanointed, close to God and far from God, you will live a very subnormal Christian life. You must see yourself as in Christ. You're in Christ. You're in him. We all have the same covering and same position. The covering is the blood and the position is in Christ. Yay! Yay! Faith sees this amazing love of God as being personal. Personal for me. And all the self-worth, self-esteem issues are given a death blow. I'm my beloved's and he is mine. You must and I must see this position, this love is for me, not just for the successful Christian. All right, one last thing. I went to two churches in Georgia, uh, 
moving Alyssa and Sydney and Eli back to George and gained four pounds off Southern cooking. <laughs> oh, those barbecue places are awfully yummy. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> Last week I was at a church, had great music, had a great band, had the words up, had really cool lighting. My, they were really lights. As I looked to my left and to my right, I did not see one man singing. And here's the first thought that hit my head was hardly anybody in here is seeing. Because if you see, you worship. If you see the King of glory, the gracious, awesome God in the midst of his people, you can't help. You can't help but worship. Anytime people encountered angels or, or God in some form, they fell down. And they, when they saw, they worshiped. And I thought, here we are in this church here. It's got all the stuff going for it. But it seems like nobody is seen. And I thought, man, I hope it's not like that at home. Because I get lost in worship. I don't, I'm not really checking you out, if you've noticed. I just am worshiping Jesus. And when you see, worship explodes. When you see, you worship with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. I mean, how could you not? How can you not? The king of glory, the creator of the universe, the one who died, the one who loves so supremely, he's here. Here's the deal. Faith sees and worship explodes. If you missed it, faith sees and worship explodes. When you see, you worship. But when we worship by sight, we might sing, but it won't be worship. It will be singing. Yeah, that's what I say. <laughs> I, I, I just, I was sitting in that church last week. And I'm thinking, man, I, I don't think it's like that at home. I hope it's not like that at home. I have seen a few people look bored. And if you aren't bored, you're a great actor. And if you aren't, you should tell your face. Here's what I believe with all my heart. Every saint should be an extravagant worshiper if they see. If they see. Here's another thing that sort of gets to me. People say, oh, man, I really got into worship today. What? What does that mean? Uh, I didn't really get into worship. What? What is that supposed to mean? I was into obeying Jesus. I was into disobeying Jesus. What? That's what you... I was into loving Jesus. I was into hating Jesus today. Getting into worship, that's religion. Worship is for a person. You don't get... In, I was into Cheryl today. I really wasn't into Cheryl today. I mean... <laughs> It just sounds ridiculous. And the, we talk like this because we move from relationship into religion, and then we talk about getting into. You don't get into you. 
you love him. It's the byproduct of a, of a heart that is grateful. You don't get into it or not into. That's silly, isn't it? it I tell you, it's just silly. I'll tell you this one, too. There have been times when we would have worship every week and and we just gather for like an hour of just real intimate worship and and I'm always surprised at how few people come because I'm thinking, well, what else is there? What's what's better? Are you watching the news? Boo. Are you sitting on the porch talking about today's weather? Boo. Now, if you're working or you're doing homework with the kids, totally understand. But it, it always surprises me. Worship is our highest calling. So I would think that when we have worship meetings, everyone would come. But they don't. But if Mike's going to talk and be on, whatever that means, I want to come and... I teach so you worship. I don't, we don't worship so you'll hear the teaching. We teach so you'll worship. With your life, not just in a song service, with your life, you worship. Worship is the byproduct of seeing his great love, his great worth, and his great mercy. So church, fight on. We're in a war right now. Teaching on spiritual warfare, it's it's intense. Don't give up. Don't lose heart. Keep pressing. We've had some miracles. We've had some breakthroughs. Some people have had some real inner healing. Hallelujah. Others are at it. They're at the core of their being. They're one of the most intense battles of their life. Pray for your family. Pray for your family. Let's stand together. Now, I think that was a better word than I got amens. I'm just going to tell you up front right now. Now, seriously, if, if you and I can really see this, you will live different, you will feel different, you will speak different, you will worship different. Because you are in Christ. You have zero unrighteousness if you've confessed your sins. You are clean. And when you're clean, man, you're careful. Because there's a dove that lighted on your shoulder. And when the dove is there, for the dove to remain, man, you've got to move to honor the dove because the dove will fly off. But we live circum- we live carefully because the Holy Spirit has landed on our lives and we don't want to grieve or quench the Holy Spirit of God. Whew. I'm going to listen to this sermon and I'm going to amen it to death. <laughs> I, I, I'm going to say preach it to myself and uh, I'm going to say, listen up, Mike, you've got to get this finally. All right. The Lord bless this family. The Lord make his face shine upon you. The Lord be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, 
God, I pray that we would see what you've done. It's amazing that we'd see the finished work on the cross and the incredible power that's in the blood of Jesus Christ that we might not sing about it like we used to, but God, that we've got to get a hold of it again. What one drop of the blood of Jesus Christ does and removing as far as the east is from the west, there's no better news that removes condemnation and guilt and shame from our lives knowing what Jesus Christ has done. And God, I thank you there's no second string. I thank you there's no bench warmers. I thank you that we are all in Christ. We're all anointed of you. We're all gifted by the Holy Spirit. We're all to earnestly desire those spiritual gifts. And we carry something that we're to release and give and share. Some do it in front of tens of thousands, some in front of thousands, some in front of hundreds, and some to one or two. But it's the call of God, and it's powerful, and it's vital, and it's necessary. It's part of the, oh, the puzzle. It's part of the body. Lord, may we love and honor all parts of the body. As Paul says, the, the parts that are, that are hidden, Lord, are to be given special honor. So, Lord, we just are so grateful that you speak to us again and again and again. And remind us of these wonderful truths so that we can be strong and have good courage. In Jesus' name, amen.